Chapter Seven of Is He Popenjoy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob Strigley, Charlottesville, Virginia, USA. Is He Popenjoy? By Anthony Trollope. Chapter Seven. Cross Hall Gate. While Mr. Knox was still in the country, negotiations were opened with Mr. Price, the sporting farmer, who, like all sporting farmers, was in truth a very good fellow. He had never been liked by the ladies at Manor Cross, as having ways of his own which were not their ways. He did not go to church as often as they thought he ought to do, and being a bachelor, stories were told about him which were probably very untrue. A bachelor may live in town without any inquiries as to any of the doings of his life. But if a man live forlorn and unmarried in a country house, he will certainly become the victim of calumny, should any woman under sixty ever be seen about his place. It was said also of Mr. Price that sometimes, after hunting, men had been seen to go out of his yard in an uproarious condition but I hardly think that old Sir Simon Bolt, the master of the hounds, could have liked him so well, or so often have entered his house, had there been much amiss there. And as to the fact of there always being a fox in Cross Hall Holt, which a certain little wood was called, about half a mile of the house, no one even doubted that. But there had always been a prejudice against Price at the great house, and in this even Lord George had coincided. But when Mr. Knox went to him and explained to him what was about to happen, that the ladies would be forced almost before the end of winter to leave Manor Cross and to make way for the Marquis, Mr. Price declared that he would clear out bag and baggage, top boots, spurs, and brandy bottles at a moment's notice. The prices of the English world are not, as a rule, deficient in respect for the Marquises and Marchionesses. The workmen can come in tomorrow, Price said, when he was told that some preparations would be necessary. A bachelor can shake down anywhere, Mr. Knox. Now it happened that Cross Hall House was altogether distinct from the Cross Hall Farm, on which indeed there had been a separate farmhouse, now only used by laborers. But Mr. Price was a comfortable man, and when the house had been vacant, had been able to afford himself the luxury of living there. So far, the primary difficulties lessened themselves when they were well looked in the face, and yet things did not run altogether smoothly. The Marquis did not condescend to reply to his brother's letter, but he wrote what was for him a long letter to Mr. Knox, urging upon the agent the duty of turning his mother and sisters altogether out of the place. "'We shall be a great deal better friends apart,' he said. "'If they remain there, we shall see little or nothing of each other, and it will be very uncomfortable. If they will settle themselves elsewhere, I will furnish a house for them, but I don't want to have them at my elbow.' Mr. Knox was, of course, bound to show this to Lord George, and Lord George was bound to consult Lady Sarah. Lady Sarah told her mother something of it, but not all but she told it in such a way that the old lady consented to remain and to brave her eldest son. 
As for Lady Sarah herself, in spite of her true Christianity and real goodness, she did not altogether dislike the fight. Her brother was her brother and the head of the family, and he had his privileges, but they too had their rights, and she was not disposed to submit herself to tyranny. Mr. Knox was therefore obliged to inform the Marquis, in what softest language he could find applicable for the purpose, that the ladies of the family had decided upon removing to the dower house. About a month after this there was a meet of the Brotherton Hunt, of which Sir Simon Bolt was the master at Cross Hall Gate. The grandfather of the present Germains had in the early part of the century either established the special pack, or at any rate become the master of it. Previous to that the hunting probably had been somewhat precarious, but there had been, since his time, a regular Brotherton hunt associated with a collar and button of its own, a blue collar on a red coat with B.H. on the buttons, and the thing had been done well. They had four days a week with an occasional buy, and twenty-five hundred pounds were subscribed annually. Sir Simon Bolt had been the master for the last fifteen years, and was so well known that no sporting pen and no sporting tongue in England ever called him more than Sir Simon. Cross Hall Gate, a well-loved meet, was the gate of the big park which opened out upon the road just opposite to Mr. Price's house. It was an old stone structure with a complicated arch stretching across the gate itself, with a lodge on each side. It lay back in a semicircle from the road, and was very imposing. In old days, no doubt the gate was much used, as the direct traffic from London to Brotherton passed that way, but the railway had killed the road, and as the nearer road from the Manor Cross house to the town came out on the same road much nearer to Brotherton, the two lodges and all the grandeur were very much wasted. But it was a pretty sight for a meet when the hounds were seated on their haunches inside the gate, or moving about slowly after the huntsman's horse, and when the horses and carriages were clustered about on the high road and inside the park. And it was a meet, too, much loved by the riding men. It was always presumed that Manor Cross itself was preserved for foxes, and the hounds were carefully run through the belt of woods. But half an hour did that and then they went away to Price's little holt. On that side there were no more gentlemen's places. There was a gorse cover or two, and sundry little spinnies, but the country was country for foxes to run and men to ride, and with this before them the members of the Brotherton Hunt were pleased to be summoned to Crosshall Gate. On such occasions Lord George was always there. He never hunted, and very rarely went to any other meet, but on these occasions he would appear mounted in black and would say a few civil words to sir simon and would tell george scrooby the huntsman that he had heard that there was a fox among the laurels george would touch his hat and say in his loud deep voice hope so my lord having no confidence whatever in a manner cross fox sir simon would shake hands with him make a suggestion about the weather and then get away as soon as possible for there was no sympathy and no common subject between the men. On this occasion Lady Amelia had driven down Lady Susanna in the pony carriage, and Lady George was there, mounted with her father the dean, longing to be allowed to go away with the hounds, 
but having been strictly forbidden by her husband to do so. Mr. Price was, of course, there, as was also Mr. Knox, the agent, who had a little shooting-box down in the country, and kept a horse, and did a little hunting. There was good opportunity for talking, as the hounds were leisurely taken through the loose belt of woods, which were by courtesy called the manor-cross-coverts, and Mr. Price took the occasion of drawing a letter from his pocket, and showing it to Mr. Knox. "'The Marquis has written to you,' said the agent, in a tone of surprise, the wonder not being that the Marquis should write to Mr. Price, but that he should write to any one. "'Never did such a thing in his life before, and I wish he hadn't now.' Mr. Knox wished it also when he had read the letter. It expressed a very strong desire on the part of the Marquis that Mr. Price should keep the Cross Hall house, saying that it was proper that the house should go with the farm, and intimating the Marquis' wish that Mr. Price should remain as his neighbor. "'If you can manage it, I'll make the farm pleasant and profitable to you,' said the Marquis. "'He don't say a word about her ladyship,' said Price, "'but what he wants is just to get rid of them all, box and dice.' "'That's about it, I suppose,' said the agent. And "'Then he's come to the wrong shop. That's what he has done, Mr. Knox. I've three more year of my lease on the farm, and after that out I must go, I dare say.' "'There's no knowing what may happen before that, Price. "'If I was to go, I don't know that I need quite starve, Mr. Knox. "'I don't suppose you will. "'I ain't no family, and I don't know as I'm just bound to go by what a lord says, "'though he is my landlord. "'I don't know as I don't think more of them ladies than I does of him, him, Mr. Knox.' "'And then Mr. Price used some very strong language indeed.' "'What right has he to think as I'm going to do his dirty work? "'You may tell him from me as he may do his own.' "'You'll answer him, Price?' "'Not a lie. I ain't got nothing to say to him. "'He knows I'm a-going out of the house, and if he don't, you can tell him.' "'Where are you going to?' "'Well, I was going to fit up a room or two in the old farmhouse, "'and if I had anything like a lease, I wouldn't mind spending three or four hundred pounds there.' I was thinking of talking to you about it, Mr. Knox. I can't renew the lease without his approval. You write and ask him, and mind you tell him that there ain't no doubt at all as to any going out of Cross Hall after Christmas. Then if you'll make it fourteen years, I'll put the old house up and not ask him for a shilling. As I'm a living sinner, they're on a fox. Who'd have thought of that in the park? That's the old vixen from the hold, as sure as my name's Price. Them cubs haven't travelled here yet. So saying, he rode away, and Mr. Knox rode after him, and there was consternation throughout the hunt. It was so unaccustomed a thing to have to gallop across Manor Cross Park, but the hounds were in full cry through the laurels and into the shrubbery and round the conservatory close up to the house. Then she got into the kitchen garden and back again through the laurels, the butler and the garden and the housemaid and the scullery maid were all there to see. Even Lady Sarah came to the front door looking very severe, and the old Marchioness gaped out of her own sitting-room window upstairs. Our friend Mary thought it excellent fun, for she was really able to ride to the hounds, and even Lady Amelia became excited as she flogged the pony along the road. Stupid old vixen who ought to have known better. Price was quite right, for it was she and the cubs in the holt were now finally emancipated from all maternal thraldom. 
She was killed ignominiously in the stoke-hole under the greenhouse, she who had been the mother of four litters, and who had baffled the Brotherton hounds half a dozen times over the cream of the Brotherton country. "'I knew it,' said Price in a melancholy tone, as he held up the head which the huntsman had just dissevered from the body. She might have done better with herself than come to such a place as this for the last move. "'Is it all over?' asked Lady George. "'That one is pretty nearly all over, miss,' said George Scrooby, as he threw the fox to the hounds. "'My lady, I mean begging your ladyship's pardon.' Someone had prompted him at the moment. "'I'm very glad to see your ladyship out, and I hope we'll show you something better before long.' But poor Mary's hunting was over. When George Scrooby and Sir Simon and the hounds went off to the holt, she was obliged to remain with her husband and sisters-in-law. While this was going on, Mr. Knox had found time to say a word to Lord George about that letter from the Marquis. "'I am afraid,' he said, "'your brother is very anxious that Price should remain at Cross Hall.' "'Has he said anything more?' "'Not to me, but to Price he has.' "'He has written to Price?' "'Yes, with his own hand, urging him to stay. I cannot but think it was very wrong.' A look of deep displeasure came across Lord George's face. I have thought it right to mention it, because it may be a question whether her ladyship's health and happiness may not be best consulted by her leaving the neighborhood. We have considered it all, Mr. Knox, and my mother is determined to stay. We are very much obliged to you. We feel that in doing your duty by my brother you are anxious to be courteous to us. The hounds have gone on. Don't let me keep you. Mr. Hooton was, of course, out. Unless the meets were very distant from his own place, he was always out. On this occasion his wife also was there. She had galloped across the park as quickly as anybody, and when the fox was being broken up in the grass before the hall door, was sitting close to Lady George. "'You are coming on?' she said in a whisper. "'I am afraid not,' answered Mary. "'Oh, yes, do come. Slip away with me.' Nobody'll see you. Get as far as the gate, and then you can see that covert drawn. I can't very well. The truth is, they don't want me to hunt. They. Who is they? They don't want me to hunt. That is, Mr. Hooton doesn't. But I mean to get out of his way by riding a little forward. I don't see why that is not just as good as staying behind. Mr. Price is going to give me a lead. You know Mr. Price? But he goes everywhere and I mean to go everywhere. What's the good of half doing it? Come along. But Mary had not even thought of rebellion such as this, did not in her heart approve of it, and was angry with Mrs. Hooton. Nevertheless, when she saw the horsewoman gallop off across the grass toward the gate, she could not help thinking that she would have been just as well able to ride after Mr. Price as her old friend Adelaide de Baron. The dean did go on, having intimated his purpose of riding on, just to see Price's farm. When the unwanted perturbation was over at Manor Cross, Lord George was obliged to revert again to the tidings he had received from Mr. Knox. He could not keep it to himself. He felt himself obliged to tell it all to Lady Sarah. That he should write to such a man as Mr. Price, telling him of his anxiety to banish his own mother from her own house, you did not see the letter? No, but Knox did. They could not very well show such a letter to me. 
but Knox says that Price was very indignant and swore that he would not even answer it. I suppose he can afford it, George. It would be very dreadful to ruin him. Price is a rich man, and after all, if Price were to do all that Brotherton desires him, he could only keep us out for a year or so. But don't you think you will all be very uncomfortable here? How will my mother feel if she isn't ever allowed to see him? And how will you feel if you find that you never want to see his wife? Lady Sarah sat silent for a few minutes before she answered him, and then declared for war. It is very bad, George, very bad. I can foresee great unhappiness, especially the unhappiness which must come from constant condemnation of one whom we ought to wish to love and approve of before all others. But nothing can be so bad as running away. We ought not to allow anything to drive Mamma from her own house and us from our own duties. I don't think we ought to take any notice of Brotherton's letter to Mr. Price. It was thus decided between them that no further notice should be taken of the Marquis's letter to Mr. Price. End of chapter 7